Steve, who you just saw in the video, has become a great friend of mine. Steve uh, didn't say in there that um, because of his experience, he decided that he wanted more people to know about Jesus. He wanted more people to be encouraged, and he didn't want people to live the way that his dad was living. And uh, so he started a ministry, and it, it's an encouragement ministry, and he, uh, he comes to church here now. He, he became a pastor. He was a pastor for 45 years, and then he, he retired, but he still travels. This week, he was, uh, he was teaching about this kind of stuff in a church in Detroit. And so, uh, so anyway, so he's all over the place and, uh, and, and sharing this story and sharing that there's, that there's life after this and that there's life for people and that your life matters. And he just started, just kind of scratched the surface talking about suicide and the issues and the things that are, are part of that, that whole topic. Today, I'm going to take the time to really dig into it. And, uh, and I want to talk about a few specific things tonight, and, uh, and I think that, uh, that it's going to be worthwhile for you, um, especially if you've dealt with somebody who's, who's uh, done that, taken their own life, or if you yourself have, have struggled with thoughts of ending your own life. And so, um, so anyway, I think, it's, I think it's worthwhile. This morning, God was doing some really awesome things with people. Um, Oh, I'm just, there was something else I wanted to say. The book that, that he's talking about, I've read the book. It's great. You know, he's kind of got that grandfather type feel when he talks to you. When you read the book, it's almost like the way he wrote it is, is you feel like you're hearing him talking about the story, you know, in that same uh, kind of setting. And uh, I just want you, the book is $10 and he wants all the profits or anything like that to go to the church. But I want you to know if you don't have the money and you want that book, you just come talk to me. We'll get you that book. It, it, it's not about the money or anything like that. It's about making sure you have a resource in your hand that's going to either help you in the grieving process or is going to help you to make the right choices as far as choosing life instead of choosing death. So, uh, so anyway, we've been talking about all these, these uh, controversial subjects, so I have a few ground rules that I want to go through. I'm not going to make you repeat you know, one, two, three with me, but I want to go over them anyway because I think they're important to cover before we get into subjects that might, that might make you go, hmm, you know, I disagree with that. Uh, and, and so that's understandable. Everybody's op- you know, allowed to have their own opinions, and so because of that, we need to have a couple ground rules set up. Uh, so rule number one is this, is don't be upset with me today uh, if you disagree with what I'm talking about, all right? Don't, don't kill the messenger. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just up here trying to bring to you what God's word says. But I want you to know, I will not compromise God's word to make you feel better, okay? I need to, I need to bring to you what God's word says. So with that in mind, uh, every statement I make isn't my statement. It's not, this isn't the, the story of Pastor Ross's ideas. This is going to be backed up with God's Word. So every point I make, you'll see I'll do it today, is, is then I will bring it to God's Word and say this is where um, this, this whole concept or thought or statement comes from. And the last part of rule number one is I just want you to know I will not force you ever to agree with what I'm saying. That's not my job. My job is to share the Word with you and then allow God to work in your heart. Okay, so you might go home wrestling with some thoughts about what I said today, and, and then that's time for you to go to the Lord and say, okay, God, what do I do in my circumstances? Rule number two is this, is if you get upset today, uh, just relax and take time to evaluate whether or not you're just disagreeing with the subject or if it's really God challenging something in your own life. 
and, and then you do need to evaluate whether you need to change. And the third is this. I don't think so much today. I think it's okay from this point on. I think Steve's uh, description of, of his dad committing suicide was the most graphic thing that you're going to hear today. Uh, but if, if you're concerned about your children listening to this message of, on suicide, then I just recommend maybe you take them out tonight, take them over to the children's area. They will still check them in now if you need to. So, uh, so let's pray. Let's get into it. Father, thank you so much for every person that's here. God, I thank you that you have a great plan and a purpose for each one of their lives. And I pray that tonight, maybe more than any night that we've had so far, that they will come to the realization of that truth. That you have a life and a purpose for each of them. No matter what their circumstance is, no no matter the state of of their mind or how they feel about self-worth and things like that. God, we pray that tonight, more than any other night that they've been here, God, that you speak to them about how valuable they are. And so, God, give us ears to hear your voice tonight. God, give us hearts that understand what you're trying to say. And God, give us minds that desire to live like you and to live for you. And God, let the words that I share be the words you need me to share. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so quickly, if you've not been here for the past four weeks, this is the fifth week of this series, uh, I want to just recap what we've talked about, because maybe it'll intrigue you and you'll want to go back and, and look at uh, what, what was talked about in the previous weeks. So, uh, we started out uh, talking about abortion, uh, then we talked about money, then we talked about sexual immorality, and then we talked about, last week we talked about marriage and divorce, okay? And today we're, we're obviously going to talk about suicide. So uh, suicide is, it's, it's a word that brings up a lot of different feelings for each and every different individual, okay? Let me, let me put it this way. Some people, when they hear the word suicide, it, it, brings the emotion of sadness because they've lost somebody that they love, okay? They, they, it brings them right to that moment, back to the moment when they heard that a loved one had, had done this, okay? Suicide for somebody else uh, might bring the feelings of fear into, into their life because they know somebody who's either attempted suicide or has talked about it, and they're afraid that they're going to get a phone call someday, that, that this person's going to have taken their own life. Okay, and then there's uh, even still other people who, when they hear the word suicide, what they feel is a sense of relief. Because for them, the life that they're living right now, the situation they're in, is so painful or such a struggle that the thought of suicide actually is one that they think it would just bring relief to them if they would go through with it. So you can see how it can bring up a lot of different emotions and a lot of different feelings. And, and so today I think it's so important that we talk about suicide and, and really what God's word says about this, this whole situation. So I want to I talk about it from a, a couple points of view. And I'm going to start off tonight by talking about the church's stance on suicide. No doubt if you've been around Christians for very long or you've went to church for very long, you've heard somebody say that if you commit suicide, it's a guaranteed trip to hell. Okay, so this is one of the stances that that some churches have, that if you commit suicide, you are guaranteeing that you're going to go to hell. And obviously, the other side of that stance is there's churches and Christians who believe that God's grace is so great that there's no way he would send somebody to hell, okay, just because they were in this moment of life and they made this decision. So I think we should talk about it. I think we should look at what the Bible actually says, because the, the truth is, is that most people when it comes to this topic of suicide, it's so, it's so emotionally charged that they don't often even look at what the scripture says. Okay, Because for a lot of people, they go, well, if God really is love, how in the world could he send somebody to hell? So I don't believe it. 
But they didn't use a scripture to say that, okay? And in the same way, there's people who aren't as connected with somebody who commits uh, suicide. And then they say, you know, those people who aren't emotionally involved, they go, well, they're definitely going to hell because they destroyed the temple of God. Your body is the temple of God. And, And yet, they've never really looked at the scripture to know if that's actually what the Bible says. And so I think I want to look at what the Bible says. I spent a lot of time searching for what the Bible says on suicide so that, so that I could come tonight and I could bring you what God's Word says about it. So I want to get into it today, and, and I'm actually going to start out by talking about the three major arguments that Christians or churches use today to say that you are going to hell if you committed suicide. So please hang on and listen to what I have to say. The first thing, though, that you need to know, you need to know this, is that the Bible does not say that suicide sends you to hell. It does not say it. Now, remember when I said that whole rule number two, if you do get upset, take a minute to evaluate yourself. If this goes against what you've heard, if this goes against what you've been taught at church, then let's look at the word, okay? Let's look at what the Bible actually says. Because you can search the rest of your life through the Bible, and you will never find a scripture that says taking your own life sends you to hell. Okay? You won't find it. Okay? But there's a lot of uninformed believers out there, people who've only heard things but never studied things, that seem to believe that that's found somewhere in the Bible, but it's not. Okay? So I want to look at the scriptures that are actually used by people to say that it is. Okay? We'll see what they say. I want you to know this as well. I said this this morning. Is I got a whole lot of things going on in my head right now, and I'm just trying to decide which ones are going to come out. Okay, so this is a big topic. So we're going to talk about it. I would also like to say there probably won't be a whole lot of laughter during this message, but that's okay. Ha ha ha. Um, all right. So the first scripture that I want to look at is the one that is most commonly used. If you Google, "Do you go to hell if you commit suicide?" in the in the things you're going to read that say you do, they're going to use this scripture. Okay, it's 1 Corinthians 3, verses 16 and 17. I want to read it, and then we'll talk about it. It says this, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? Everybody say yourselves. Okay, and that God's spirit dwells in your midst. Verse 17 says, If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and you together, everybody say together, you together are that temple. Okay, so, First off, you have heard it said before at church, you've heard it quoted many times, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, correct? You've heard that before. Okay, that comes in in large part from this scripture. But is that what this scripture says exactly? So this might challenge you right off the bat because you've heard that forever. I want to reread it. I had you repeat a couple words for me, and I want, to, I want you to look at the emphasis and look at what these words are actually saying. Don't you know that you yourselves, plural, meaning more than one human being, are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. You remember that scripture that says where two or three are gathered, he is in the what? Midst. What's interesting is this scripture says the same thing, that God's spirit dwells in your midst when you are together. So really, what this is saying is that God's spirit dwells in the place where the body of believers are. Now, 
God's Spirit is here in this place. Do I believe that God's Holy Spirit is with you all the time? Absolutely, I do. Okay, but what this is talking about in context, in exactly the words that the Bible says, is that it's talking about a group of people. And anyone who destroys the body of believers or or tries to destroy the, the group of believers, it will be destroyed by God. By the way, there is no there is no clarity in any version of the Bible, in any translation, even if you go all the way back, on what it means that God will destroy them. It does not necessarily mean that they will go to hell. Nowhere in there does it say anything about suicide. Okay? It's talking about the body of believers. Okay? So that's, I just, I, you can't, I can't see somebody using that scripture legitimately to say that that means somebody who commits suicide is going to hell. Okay? Argument number two is another very common, common argument is that when, you, when somebody commits suicide, it leaves them no chance to repent of the sin that they just did, that they just committed. And there's no argument that suicide is a sin. The Bible says do not murder, which means taking an innocent life. So when you commit suicide, you are murdering, you're committing the sin of murder on yourself. There's no debate there. Okay, so it's a sin. Now, I'd like to also point out that, um, that I've come a long way ever since I started actually studying the Bible when talking about this situation. Because my wife wanted to point out to me a couple nights ago that, uh, that when we had a friend commit suicide that we went to uh, youth group with and who did all kinds of mission trips and we know was a believer, all of this stuff, that when she died, that I was uh, so sensitive and I was like, well, she didn't repent of her sin, she can't do it, so she's in hell. Okay, so even me myself growing up in a church that was teaching that, um, I, I had that mindset until I actually studied the word and looked at what the word said about it. Okay, so i got to ask you this question. If that's true, if it's true that uh, the lack of ability to repent of the sin causes you to go to hell, then i got to ask you this. If you leave here tonight and on your way home, you die in a car accident, will you have unrepented sins in your life? Will you? Yes, you will, because when that person cut in front of you in the coffee line over here and you curse them under your breath, that's a sin. And then when you just couldn't get it out of your mind the whole time you sat in here, it's ruined half the church service already because you can't stop thinking about the fact that they pumped the last little bit of coffee out of it and there was nobody back there to refill the pot. No, they were, you were back there. You were there. Pot was full. All right. But what I'm trying to say is then when you got down here and you, you blew through the light at Shell and you get T-boned and it's all over and you stand before Jesus, is Jesus really going to go, I'm sorry, you're going to hell? Is he? Okay, then why would he do it to the person who committed the sin of murder on themselves? It's a good question, isn't it? <laughs> why is it? Why do you feel like, no, you wouldn't go to hell? It's because Jesus paid it all. <laughs> all to him I owe. Right? Right? Because Jesus paid the price. He paid the price for our sins of our past, our present, and our future. Don't take my word for it. Let's go to the scripture, okay? Colossians 2, verse 13 says this. It says, when you were dead in your sins, by the way, side note, before you were saved and had Jesus, you were dead anyway, okay? So then you had Jesus who brought life. It says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us how many of our sins? How many? All All our sins. 
Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Now, I know you could say, yeah, but that still sounds like it's the sins of your past. And when you got saved, he forgave you of those. But how can you say that that's going to talk about future sins? Well, first off, he knows the beginning from the end, right? And he knew that the day that you said, Jesus, I want, you to make Lord, I want to make you Lord of my life, that you were, you were going to have those sins in 2025, right? And so, so we got to trust God first off, but don't take my word for it. Let's look at God's word. The very next verse says this. It says, in having Jesus, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross, Okay. That part about disarming powers, I like to use the NIV, and so I was in the NIV when I pulled this scripture. If you look at other versions of the Bible, almost every other version of the Bible in that line says this. It says, Jesus took, the, took away the power of sin. Jesus took away the power of sin. What is the power of sin? It's condemnation to go to hell. Okay, at the end of every service, when we do the salvation prayer, we talk about, we say thank you that Jesus died on the cross and defeated the grave. Did you know that Jesus went to hell? Like back before Jesus died on the cross, every person went to hell, whether they were a believer or not, because we were all guilty of sin, right? There was no redemption for sins until Jesus died on the cross. So Jesus himself died and had to go down and pay the price. Remember, he bore the weight of our sins and went to hell. But when he defeated the grave, specifically what he did is he took away the power of sin to condemn you to hell. So if you're saved today, sin doesn't have power over your life anymore. Jesus has power over your life. And there's a lot of Christians today who are worried that if they sin and they don't repent, that they're going to go to hell. There are some church organizations in the world today, some of the biggest, that tell you you have to repent every week. That is not found anywhere in the Bible, ever. It says, make Jesus Lord of your life. He pays the price for your sins, and when you live for him, you are redeemed. You guys following me? Why are you redeemed forever? Because sin doesn't have power anymore. Jesus has a little treasure box up in heaven, and he just put the power of sin right in there and said, that's mine now. Sin, you have no power anymore. I have the power. So you don't need to be afraid when you do have a small stumble in your walk with God or you feel like maybe you made a mistake. How many people don't raise your hands? But when you do make a mistake, when you do do, do something you know was a sin, you feel a little guilty, right? And you should never feel like, I hope God will still accept me because sin doesn't have that power anymore. Jesus holds that power. You're redeemed. You are made new. You have been washed what? White as snow. Let's not talk about snow. Okay. So the argument that a person can't repent after the sin of suicide doesn't hold water because sin no longer holds that power to send you to hell. Now, I want to be really clear. I do believe you can walk away from the Lord. I believe that you can say, I no longer, I'm renouncing Jesus as my Lord and Savior. You could walk away from your faith and not be going to heaven. Okay. But as far as if you have a heart for the Lord, and you make a decision that causes you to lose your life or to make a big mistake or alter your life, not even talking about suicide in that case, Jesus holds the power over that. The devil doesn't hold power over you. 
So the last argument that, that we have to look at, actually Steve mentioned it, and a lot of people use this, is that they, they say that suicide is the unpardonable or unpardonable sin, okay? That it's a sin that cannot be forgiven. Well, um, there, there are people who think this. The Bible makes reference to the unpardonable sin a couple times. Jesus very clearly spells it out. But I'd like you to know that nowhere does it say that it is suicide, that, that suicide is the unpardonable sin. And there's a lot of Christians, I, I've read a lot about it and heard a lot of people, like, they're worried that at some point in their life they committed the, the unpardonable or unpardonable sin and that they're, like, living the rest of their life for the Lord and they're afraid they're going to stand before Jesus. Jesus is going to say, well, when you were seven years old, you committed the unpardonable sin, so the rest of your life, 80 years of your life were a wash, right? Like, God's not going to do that to you. But we need to look at what that is actually so that we can really know whether or not that argument holds weight when it comes to suicide. So let's read about it. Now, Jesus is ministering to people, and just like we talked about last week, the Pharisees, who are like the local pastors of the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, they do not like him. They want to catch him in a lie. They want to trap him in some situation where people will stop following him, or they want to make him look evil. Okay, so this is one of those cases, and and this is where the Pharisees, those people, those local pastors and leaders, come against him. Okay, it's in Mark 3, verse 20. Let me read it to you. It says, Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and the disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, He's out of his mind. Okay, so Jesus... Jesus' own family showed up, and they're like, man, Jesus, come on, get out of here. You're out of your mind, right? And so just to be really clear, fast forward a little into history, they all believe that he's God, all of his family, okay? And they wrote books in the Bible about it. Uh, so, so anyway, they changed their mind. Uh, verse 22, it says, And the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, the local leaders, uh, the, who came down from Jerusalem, they said this. They said, He is possessed by Be- Beelzebul, which is a name that they used for the devil, By the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. And so this is what Jesus says. It says, so Jesus called them over to him, and he began to speak to them in parables. He said, how can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. How many know that's true? How many know a church divided against itself cannot stand? We need to be a body of believers that's unified, that's unified together. So anyway, continue in verse 25. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand, and his end is come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up, and then he can plunder the strong man's house. So Jesus is using all of these examples to say, why would Satan work through me to cast out his own spirits, his own people, that he, or beings that he's using to control people? He's trying to explain. He's like, he's like listen, you... you a strong man would never plunder his own house. No, you need somebody stronger to go in and subdue him and tie him up, and then you can, you can take over his house. And so what he's saying is, like, I'm not using the devil to cast out demons. I'm using something that's stronger. I'm using something completely different. I'm using the power of God. And then he says this in verse 28. Truly I tell you, people can be forgiven how many of their sins? All their sins and every slander they utter. And then he says... But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. And most people stop there. But there's one more verse. He said this because they were saying, He, Jesus, has an impure spirit. So Jesus was clearly saying this. He's saying, 
blaspheming the Holy Spirit, this unpardonable sin, it's when you give the devil credit for something God has done. Okay? So when we, again, when we look back in the context of this, that's what they did. They said, you know, he's, the power of the Holy Spirit's working through Jesus. He's healing people. He's doing incredible things. He's casting out demons, all this stuff. And they came and they said, that power, that's not power from God. That's power from the devil. And Jesus says, you better be careful right now because doing that, claiming that God's power is the devil's power, that's an unforgivable sin. Now, I would like again to point out, it says nothing about suicide. Yet that's an argument people use. And here's how they do it. They go to the first verse that I used. And they say, well, your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. And then they go to that one and they say, well, if you destroy the temple of the Holy Spirit, then you're hurting the Holy Spirit. Then you're coming against the Holy Spirit. And then they say, they, they take this big jump to that means you're blaspheming the Holy Spirit. That is not what the Bible says. That is taking a few verses from around the Bible and creating your own doctrine that is not biblical. Okay? So, no matter, no matter how you want to look at it, we got to look at the Word. And, and I want to be really clear. I don't, and you don't, we shouldn't be living by anybody else's Word except for God's Word. Okay? We shouldn't be trying to live by anybody else's power except for God's power in our life. So with that in mind, let's look at what the Bible does say about death and life. Okay, Romans 8.28, or 8.38 says this. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor how many powers? Any powers. Neither height nor depth, nor what? Anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. What does this say? It says that God's love is bigger than our situation. God's love is greater than our actions. God's love is greater. I know many of you have had loved ones that's ta- that have taken their own lives, as have I. And it's hard to think about the fact that they may or may not have gone to heaven. That's a tough thing to battle out. And I'm just going to be honest with you. So many Christians are guilty of just going into those situations in the middle of a moment of mourning, in the middle of a moment of loss, and going, you know, they went to hell because they committed suicide. I want you to know that is not what Jesus said that we were supposed to do when he said, love one another. That's not what he said. That's not what he wanted us to do. God wants us to love one another. He wants us to comfort one another. And and that's not the way to do it. And so I want to be clear today, as a pastor, this is one of those cases where I have to say that I think God's grace is bigger than our actions. And it's bigger than the things that we do and the things that we we say and, and stuff like that. God's grace is bigger than that. But that being said, I am not God, right? And so just because that's what I say or that's what I think, I don't make God's decisions for him. And so I think where we have to get as people in a situation who've lost loved ones to suicide is we have to get to a place where, where we trust God. The left behind people, they have to choose to trust God. And we have to, we have to trust him because God knows better than we do. God knows the heart, right? He's the judge of the heart. And, and so, so he's the one who really knows whether or not that person loves him or never loved him. 
And this is something that I'm going to say is probably the hardest thing I have to say today. And, and it's, uh, I labeled it in my notes as the hard truth. And, and this is that if somebody didn't know Jesus in the first place, it doesn't matter if they committed suicide or died in an accident or had a heart attack or died of old age. If they didn't know Jesus, then they didn't go to heaven. With that in mind, I think we as Christians could do a, a real service to the world if we would stop arguing with each other about these kind of topics and spend more time introducing new people to Jesus. Like, we, we as Christians, we spend so much time battling over the issues within our church. Remember, a church divided cannot stand. A house divided cannot stand. We fight with each other. And what we're forgetting is that God called us to be a light in a dark place. He called us to go out and reach the world. He told us to go and preach the gospel, which is telling people about Jesus to every creation, everything out there. But we're so busy infighting about stuff that we, don't, we, we lose time. We lose the chance to go and introduce more people to Jesus. So I think I took enough time to talk about the three things, like kind of debunking the, the statement that people go to hell for sure if they commit suicide. And I think I made a pretty clear argument that, well, that scripture made a pretty clear argument that God's grace is bigger than our situations, right? So I want to change gears. And I want to talk about another thing. There, is, uh, there are people out there, and even this week I've talked with a few people because they knew I was going to talk about suicide, who have made this statement. They say, well, I don't believe that somebody who's a real believer could actually commit suicide. Like, if they really love the Lord, then they would trust him, and they would know that, his, that, that he wants better for them or that he loves them or whatever, and they wouldn't do it. I've heard this. I don't know if you've heard this before, but that statement's been said to me. And whenever that statement is said to me, I like to just say things like this. Like, so what about Moses? Because Moses asked God to kill him in the middle of God doing amazing things in his life. Moses wanted to die. What about Job after he lost his family and he wanted to take his own life and he wanted God to take his life? What about Elijah right after he de defeated the prophets of Baal, all of them, and fire came down from sky and, God, and God's power was so immense, he ran off and hid in a cave and said he just wanted God to take his life because he was in fear that somebody was going to capture him and kill him. What about Jeremiah, the, the, you know, the one who says... For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, plans for hope, for a future. When he's captured and taken off in, in captivity, he asks the Lord, just end my life. I don't want to live anymore. So I would say that if some of the greatest figures, the people that, that are the forefathers of our faith, really, that helped, that helped us get to the place we are today, if those men said, I, don't, I wish my life were over, I don't think my life is worth living anymore, then how could we be any different? I believe that somebody who loves the Lord can still feel like they want their life to be over. And so that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about people who are struggling with that. And I know there are people in here. I know, I know there are people in this room who are struggling with that thought. And if you're struggling with suicidal thoughts, um, I think... I think I think a lot of people who get there, they're, well, I 
I think you ask yourself, how did I get to this point? How did I end up in a place in life where I wish I didn't live? I think there's a lot of people probably in this room who've asked themselves that question at some point or another. And I don't have a great answer for that, but I do have an answer for that. It happened gradually. See, for most people, there was an instance in their life, there was a moment where something happened, whether it was physical pain that happened or an embarrassing thing or something like that 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 brought them low, that made them feel like they didn't matter. Maybe it made you feel like you didn't matter. And you know, everybody goes through those things. Everybody goes through low points in their life. Everybody goes through sadness. But for a lot of people, those seasons end. They, they, whether it's in a day or a week or a month or a year, they, they kind of work through that situation and that season ends. But for a lot of people, it doesn't. For a lot of people, they're sad and they don't love their life. And then something happens again and it brings them lower. And then something else happens. Somebody breaks their heart or somebody tells them they're worthless and they start to believe that that's true. And suddenly you found yourself over over a period of time wishing that you didn't live anymore. There are a lot of people in this room who have felt that way before. A lot. And this, I, I think, is the time where we need to really look to the Lord for help. We really need to ask the Lord and seek the Lord for help. And and I know that's that sounds simple, and it's not simple. But I want to be really clear here. Like, I know that for some of you in this room, when I talked about how the Bible doesn't really say that you go to hell when you commit suicide, there were, some, there were a few of you in this room who thought, Pastor just gave me the green light to go ahead and end my life because I know I can go to heaven. And I want to be really clear, that is not what I said. I, I, in, suicide is never... It is never a valid option. It, it is not. Do you, you, you know how I know that? I know that because of why Jesus came. Do you know why Jesus actually came here? You know why he actually came down? Jesus himself, he says it. He says it in John 10.10. He said, I have come that they may have what? Life. And not just have life, but have life to the fullest. And so if your life feels really empty, then I can promise you, you are not where God wants you to be. Because he didn't come so that you could live your life to the emptiest place and then just call it quits. He he lived, he came, he died on the cross, he defeated the grave, he took the power of sin, he rose again. Why did he do it? He, He did it because he wants you to live life to the fullest. And if you're in the low point right now, you've got to start to think about the fact that just around the corner, you're going to start to fill up a little bit. But you've got to make it. You've got to choose to trust God. You've got to choose to say, hey, life's worth living even right now. Because I know that even if I don't feel value, I know that God sees value in me. And my life matters. And around the corner, you don't even know what could be coming. You don't even know what God has in store for you. And you will never know if you choose death instead of life. There's an epidemic going right on right now in, in the world, but in our country, with young people who are taking their lives over things that they're not insignificant, but seem so, so huge, mountains that they feel they'll never get past, that they think my life is over. Young kids, 13, 14, break up in their first romantic relationship and they think there's no point in living, and so they end their life, but they don't know that there's so much life ahead of them 
There's middle-aged people today who, who have a divorce and they think life's over. I've got a red mark on me forever because I went through a divorce, because I made this decision or that decision. They think life's over and it's not worth living. That's a lie. The devil is trying to get you to end something that God says has so much future. And there is redemption after those things. And you know, there's a lot of people today. It's not just in the young or in the middle age group. There's a lot of people who are in the last years of their life who are saying, it doesn't matter. I've only got a few years left or, or, or I have, you know, I, I'm sick and I, I'm just ailing and it's not, I just, I'm ready to go now. And so they make that choice. And I'm telling you that even if you have three years or, or one year left, who knows what God has planned for that year? And how you could change the entire legacy of your life and what you leave behind in one year or in one week. I remember when my grandmother was, uh, was on her deathbed and she was in the hospital and we went to visit her. Now, I don't know if my grandmother ever struggled with, uh, with thoughts of ending her life or anything like that. That, that doesn't have to do with, with what I'm going to say. I knew it was the end. Everybody knew it was the end. So we went to visit her in the hospital. And we brought, I brought my guitar, and my sister was there. And we, all, we, we were all there, and we, we sang a couple worship songs. And when we got done with that, she looked up, and she went, Rossi. She said, just want you to know, this too shall pass, and I'm going to go on and be with Jesus. It was the last word she said to me. So, so her living to that moment, I heard her say something, and when I get in tough situations, you know what I always remember? This too shall pass. This is just a season. I'm going to make it through this. And maybe you're here tonight, and you're in that end stage towards the end of your life, and you're going, I don't know, does it really matter? It matters, because what if the last few words you say to your grandson are ones that help him have life for the rest of his life? Your life matters at every stage. You matter to God. You matter to me. I just want you to know that. But you're going to matter to so many people that you're going to make a difference in their life forever. But you got to be here to do it. You matter. So choose life. Okay? Why don't we bow our heads real quick? Here's what I want to do. I would never ask you to raise your hand, you know, if you're battling with this thought or something like that. But I know there's people in here, and I don't even need to know, see your hand to know that there's people in here who are struggling with this. But what I do know is that God knows your heart. He knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly how you feel. And so he's the one who can speak to you. He's the one who can help you through this situation in your life. He's the one who can help you see light at the end of the tunnel. So I want to pray for you if you're here and you're struggling with thoughts of suicide or of worthlessness. So let's pray. Father, you, well, just, just, you know every heart in this room. You know every person. You know everything they're struggling with. You know exactly where they're at. So God, you know the hearts of people who feel worthless, who feel low, who feel like they wish at times that life was over. And God, I pray that tonight, more than any night they've ever been here, Lord, 
I pray that you are speaking to their heart. I pray that right now there's a pressure, literally a physical pressure that they're feeling in their chest or in their stomach, that knot that they're feeling, that they know that you're speaking to them right now about how valuable they are, about how important their life is, about how when you were on the cross, you were thinking of them, about how when you defeated the grave, it was for them. And the reason that you rose again is because you were bringing life to them. God, I pray that more tonight than any other night, they will begin to focus on the fact that they have a future, that you have a purpose for them that you personally wrote out before you created them. And God, I thank you for their life. And I pray that they will be thankful for their life and they will start to move towards you and move towards the plan you have for them. God, you know the people in here who are suffering because they lost a loved one who took their own life. And I pray that tonight you, you God, are a comforter, that you are the God who gives us hope, that you are the God who gives us peace. God, help us to know that you are in control, that you have our best in mind, and, God, that your grace is enough to cover every sin. And, God, I just, I just pray that you continue to, to heal hearts and to help lead people into the direction that you want them to go. For those that here that have lost people, God, I pray that we will be motivated like Steve was to love people and to introduce people to Jesus and to make sure that, that every person that we know has the chance to know who you are and to know that you're the kind of God who loves us and wants to bring life to us. With everybody's eyes closed tonight, during the message I talked about how you need to make Jesus Lord of your life if you want to know that you're going to heaven, if you want to live this purpose that he has for you. And there's probably some people in here who are saying, man, I, I've never done that. I don't, I don't know if Jesus is Lord of my life. Well, I want to give you the opportunity tonight to say for sure that you know he's Lord of your life, you know you're going to heaven, and you know that you're living a life full of purpose. Even if today you just start the path towards purpose, you can know that you're moving in God's direction, which is going to be fulfilling. And so if you're here and you know you want to make Jesus Lord of your life, you know you want to make that decision with everybody's eyes closed, just right where you're at, just lift your hand up. Is there anybody that knows they want to make Jesus Lord in the service tonight? All right, I see your hands. Keep your hands up for a minute. And if you would, if you raise your hand, would you look up here at me? I just want you to know that I see you. And actually... I would like to ask you, with everybody else's eyes closed, will you come meet me up here in the corner real quick? Just come together. Come on. Awesome. All right. So we do this where everybody prays together. Their eyes are closed. Don't worry about those people. But uh, this is a huge decision. And so the Bible is really clear. It talks about how we need to declare that Jesus is Lord. So we're going to do that when we pray. And then after that, we make a choice to let our actions follow what God's word says and to let our actions be ones that, uh, that show people the love of Jesus. So that's the part where every day you walk that out. Okay, so we're going to pray as a whole church and everybody's going to pray together. And then after, I'm going to have you go with Pastor Dom. He's just going to talk to you for a minute uh, in the back room. But, uh, but why don't we just bow our heads, and you guys, everybody in the whole place, just repeat after me, and this is you declaring that Jesus is Lord. So uh, say this with me. Say, Lord, thank you for loving me. 
Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross, defeat the grave, and to rise again so that I could be saved. I was a sinner, and I needed forgiveness. Thank you for giving it to me. Today I choose to make Jesus Lord of my life. I choose to live for you from this day on. Lead me and guide me into the life you created for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome.